0: Hey, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. Uh, In case you're wondering, I am, uh, to answer Luke's question from earlier, I prefer to wait till after Thanksgiving to talk about Christmas, but I realize that's a losing battle um, in this culture, so I have uh, accepted my fate. Um, We are... um, going through uh, the book of Daniel. We've been working through that book throughout the fall here. And um, can I get the slide up here? Um, and so we are we're approaching the end. We actually just have a couple of weeks left um, in, uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, we have two more after this Sunday, and then we'll be, we'll be entering into uh, our Advent uh, series, which is pretty exciting to me. Um, and, and it's fun to be kind of uh, getting ready to tie the knot here or tie the bow on Daniel um, now Daniel is. Uh, if you remember back, uh, the first half of the book, you've, you've noticed that we're in a kind of we've we've shifted. Um, Tones in the book. We've shifted like how the book is is even communicating to us. Before, um, in the first half of the book, we we talked a lot about narrative. We worked through different models and examples of what it looks like to live in exile. And then the second half of the book is marked by visions and prophecies and talking about like what God will do for this people that are in exile. So you get the balance of, of how do we live in exile very practically by giving us this model of Daniel and his friends. And then we get this uh, other part where it talks about how we, uh, what hope we have in exile, how, how to be animated to look towards the future and be excited about what God is doing and, and to trust him and to, to know, have, have, a, have a sense for, for what we can expect even while we're in the midst of, of a difficult time perhaps being in exile. And um, with visions, with prophecy comes expectation, comes hope, right? And with um, expectations comes emotional investment, and so when visions seem to not be answered or, or when things do not come in the way we expect, disappointment often comes with it and this uh, what we 're going to talk about today is is how do we deal with disappointment? How do we deal with being felt like being let down by God? Because Daniel is feeling this way in this chapter. And so we're going to really just dig in. What does it look like for us to do uh, that well? Because that's for sure going to happen to us, right? And, and I think it's, it's encouraging to see that Daniel... Goes through it too, um, because then we can like feel free to to feel disappointed sometimes. Like that's not a bad thing to feel let down occasionally. And as we do that, as we really look hard at that, we're going to get a fuller picture of who God is, I think, and, and a fuller picture of of the relationship between us and Him. So I think it's a good thing to kind of uh, push through uh, this topic and not avoid it. Okay, so so let me explain a little bit. To start out, why is it that Daniel is feeling let down specifically? So we'll start in, we're in chapter 9 here, and we'll read verses 1 to 3. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler. Over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I Daniel understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. All right. So, so Daniel's about to have another vision, another revelation. That's what happens in this chapter. We're actually really not going to dive into it. I'll just kind of sum it up for you today. Um, but, but. It's important that we understand that Daniel here is looking at the book of Jeremiah. Um, he's, he's been kind of sitting down, he's been reading it, and it has caused him to feel like frustrated and let down. Um, now we know at some point um, in, this, the, in the, the, the time where Cyrus takes over, that's what uh, Darius, son of Xerxes, is, is talking about, this time where Cyrus the Persian has now c- completely taken over the Babylonian uh, empire, uh, that at some point... Pretty early on in that, some Judeans are actually allowed to return back to their homeland. So this, this must be taking place before then. Daniel, it seems like, stayed in Babylon, but regardless, he's feeling let down because the exile hasn't come to an end. Uh, but, it, but we know at some point it, it starts to be undone by, um, by Cyrus, and so this must be taking place a little bit before then. And Daniel is, is, is waiting for the, se- the 70 years to, to get wrapped up. Now this this we're going to talk a little bit about the symbolism and, and the numbers and everything. Um, you could read it literally. De, uh, Jeremiah talks about seventy years taking place. You could read it more. Um Symbolically, the number seven is like a really important number uh, for Israelites. It represents wholeness or completeness. And the number 10 also kind of fits that. And so if you put seven and 10 together, you have like ultimate completeness, right? And so it's easy to read that number symbolically as well. Um, Regardless, though, Daniel is reading Jeremiah and it's making him feel kind of bummed out. Now, what, what is he actually reading in Jeremiah? Where, where is he, what parts of the book of Jeremiah is he actually reading? I think Jeremiah, I believe it's like the, the biggest book in the whole Bible. It's like a big book. There's a lot of stuff in there. All right? So to pinpoint, pinpoint what exactly uh, Daniel's reading here might be a little tricky, but I actually think we have a pretty good sense for it because of what he's referring to. Um, and like, So if you're, re- if you're like really bummed out, you're feeling let down by God, and you're, where else would you go in the book of Jeremiah, right? There's one place where, where everybody's thinking, i got to go here in Jeremiah. If I'm feeling bummed out, it's the most inspirational verse in the whole Bible, right? It's spawned a million Instagram posts since then. And, and the great part is I actually think we know exactly what Daniel looked like as he read this verse. All right, here's the verse. He's reading, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And Daniel reads it and the caffeine kicks in from the caribou coffee he had been drinking, and he goes into a field, he just drives around until he finds a big field, walks in the middle of it, and just puts his hands out, and he praises God, all right? No, I'm kidding, but I actually do think he's reading this verse, okay? I actually do think this is the verse that he's reading, because when you actually go to the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and you read it in its context, you actually find out that it's actually not about just anyone who reads it is going to have good stuff happen to them from God. It's actually referring specifically to what's going to happen to Israel as they go into exile. So, so let me read to you uh, the, the, the verse that comes before it. And then also there's another verse in Jeremiah that refers to the 70 years too. So Jeremiah 29.10, the verse that comes right before Jeremiah 29.11 this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then he moves into this place where he, where he, where he says the famous Jeremiah 29:11 verse, right? So that's specifically applied to God's plan for them to have them go into exile, to have it like a terrible thing happen to them, and then um, bring them out of it, Right? And it's 70 years is going to be the time that this like, takes place over. And earlier in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 25, this isn't on the slide, but, but God says, When the 70 years are fulfilled, not only will you be brought out of exile, but you will, uh, I will punish the king of Babylon and his whole nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. Okay, so Daniel, it makes sense that Daniel would be hanging out. It's the first year of of Babylon being destroyed, which is something that he had read in the book of Jeremiah earlier. And he's like, okay, so when Babylon gets destroyed, we're supposed to get returned from exile. But that hasn't happened yet. So when is this all going to take place? Is the 70 years up? Like, was it a literal 70 years? It's hard um, you know, you can go back and you can try to figure out literally, was there 70 years between when the exile started and when Daniel's writing here? And it's really hard to, to reconcile that, that, that being a literal number, but it's around 70 years. It's not, it's not that it's not around that, but it's important for us to, uh, to, to, to pick out here. There's, there's two things that are supposed to happen. The exile's over and Babylon gets dealt with, right? One of those things has happened, the other hasn't. And Daniel is feeling uh, disappointed, he's feeling let down by God, he's feeling confused, And that, I think, sets the stage for us because we can really uh, empathize with Daniel, reading something in the Bible, expecting it to to play out in our lives, and then having that not happen, right? I would imagine everybody in this room has been there at some point in their life where you felt let down by God, you've read Scripture, you've been like, what the heck, I thought this was supposed to happen for me, and it's not, whatever the thing is, right? So Daniel's there just like us. And so we're going to really talk about what it looks like to, to play that out. Okay, and to do that, I want to I want to um, I want to start with Daniel's petition, or sorry, I will, we'll get to Daniel's petition, which is the first half of the chapter. But I just want to explain what the vision is first, because this is not this isn't going to be the main point of the sermon. But I want to explain what happens when uh, a, an angel actually shows up to Daniel. So this is actually at the, at the end of the chapter. We'll go there first, and then we'll move back to the beginning of the chapter, and we'll really spend all of our time at that point in Daniel's petition, what his prayer to God is, because it gives us a good sense for how we should view God and approach him in our, in our f- confusion and our frustration, just like what, what Daniel has. All right, so we're jumping to verse 20 here. Daniel nine twenty to twenty three while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, this is going back to chapter eight, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, "Daniel, I have come, I have now come to you." To give you insight and understanding, as soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And he'll get to the vision here in a sec. But I just think it's funny um, that Gabriel shows up, right, and at the end, this angel comes. He's going to give Daniel his answer, and and Gabe shows up, and he kind of sounds like a customer service rep or something. Like, sir, sir, you are highly esteemed. You're a highly esteemed customer and we really value you. So I'm here to help you with your problem and to give you some insight and to help you fix it. I just think it's funny, it kind of reads like that. Um, but so, so Gabriel shows up and he's trying to give Daniel this this idea of what's going to happen. And and so what what he ends up saying is 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 like, yeah, the seventy years, right, you you know that was right, that was not wrong. But actually, the in, in terms of the completeness of how this is going to play out, it's actually seventy times seven until this exile ends. All right. And so, uh, and, and at that time, there will be an end put to the, the, the transgression. An anointed one, a, a Messiah, will come. Uh, there will be more war, and then, um, and then he kind of he kind of subdivides the seventy times seven into three parts. It's it's kind of confusing, and and, and it's not that important actually. I think to figure out exactly what's going on here, because um, anytime you try to really dig into it and figure out how the, this is all playing out, it's really hard to. F- like I said, to read it literally and figure out, like, boom, it, it, you know, in 490 years from, we don't even know when exactly that's starting, but this thing happens. It's hard to to figure out literally how this is playing out. And again, like I said, the number seven is like a super important number, and so we get a sense in which what matters is this this. Completeness of time. And, and in, in the New Testament, um, we, we get language like, like that picks up on that. Like in Galatians 4 4, a good example, Paul says, um, it, When the times reached their fulfillment, okay, for some sort of like a fulfillment of time, a completeness of time had passed. And we are not privy to when that takes place. God decides to act. And so it puts us in a place of, of trusting God. Right? It, it, it kind of sets us in a place where we can't determine when things are going to happen. It makes us have to believe that God is working it out. When, when he determines to act, he'll act decisively and in the way that we're hoping for. Now that kind of leaves us in the lurch. right? Like, it, it's it's a, not a fun place to be, not having all the information. Like, we love to have the information. We would love to Google the answer to this problem. Like When is God going to show up and, and fix the problem? And we can't do that right? And so it makes us have to trust God. And like I said, when we have to put ourselves out there to trust God, to be vulnerable, and expect him to move, like it, it opens us up to the possibility of disappointment, right? And, and that's like a hard thing. We don't want to have to do that. Um, and I, I want to talk about why that's the case, because I think there's more going on here than just just we're disappointed that something's not happening. But we're, we're talking about a relationship here, between us and God, and we're wait- we want to know that He cares about us. We want to know that He's acting on our behalf. And when we don't have that certainty, we feel like not only are we c- c- potentially could be disappointed, but the relationship itself is on shaky ground. Perhaps right, like we feel hurt that God doesn't seem to care about us. Right, so we got to talk about this relationship. I think that's actually that's like the most important thing to examine today is is the relationship itself. So trust is. It's easy with a good relationship and it's harder with a rockier one. And, and, and it's really important when we're talking about trust in a relationship to remember like, how a relationship got started. Right? Some relationships get off to kind of a, a bad start and that sticks with you. But the, the best relationships oftentimes get off to a great start. Like for whatever reason, like the beginning of the relationship, you just feel secure in the person that you have the relationship with to know. That you can trust them, and so um, Daniel is going to approach God, and he's going to talk about the start of his relationship with God, or the the people of Israel, their relationship with God, and he's going to express disappointment, express um, like the the, the questioning of what what God what is God doing talking in a way, talking about it in terms of the relationship. That, that, that's the way he's going to enter into it. And I think that it's important for us to think about it from that lens too. So we're going to walk alongside Daniel while he does that. So what we'll do is we'll work, we'll work through that part of the passage and we'll just make some observations before we get to our um, application for the sermon. So verses 4 and 6. This is super important here. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, now the, the Hebrew word for love there is hesed, With those who love, and it's a different Hebrew word here for love here. Ahab is the word that gets used at this point. Who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled and we have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. All right, so right here, like, again, our English translations fail us sometimes because they don't communicate to us what the actual Hebrew or Greek, if we're reading in the New Testament, words are. And this is sometimes like tough because we lose some nuances of what's going on here. And this is a really important place where I think um, we sh- we, it would be helpful if we had a different word than l- love is like a, a junk drawer word for us, if we're being honest, right? It can mean so many things. I can say, I love my wife, and then I can say, I love french fries. Like in back-to-back sentences, and I use the same word, and, and I hope you all understand that I love Julie much more than I love French fries, right? But but we're limited by our language because the language doesn't help us to explain the, those, the differences and feelings between those two things, and, and in Hebrew you get that, and I think it's really important here that we have the two words that describe it, right? The two relationship partners are coming together, but they're marked by two different types of love, and I think that that is so important all right so if you remember back to our ruth series that we did this summer we talked a lot about the word hased uh, we we broke it down in in depth because that was a really important part of the book to talk about god's hased and how that plays out in the lives of of ruth and naomi and boaz Hesed, so just a refresher on that word. Has We we we. Uh, Julie came up with a great um, definition of it. Loving loyalty is how as how she, she explained it. Other other uh, commentators would say like it's a costly form of love, right? It, it, it extends itself out and it's and it and it can be like uh, taken for granted or or taken advantage of. But it's a bulletproof type of love that stays connected to the thing it's loving. Regardless of that, it's going to keep loving even if, even if the, the bonds are frayed or the thing it's loving is not reciprocating in that way. Now the type of love here that is used to describe Israel, right? Those who love him is a different type of love. And this is, this is one that gets used a, a lot in the Old Testament. Um, it can get translated as friend. It can get translated as lover, like a romantic partner. It gets translated flirty. It can get translated as, like, flirty sometimes. Or it can refer to allies, like people who are coming together and they have expectations of one another and the relationship is kind of defined by, like, re- reciprocal um, acts towards each other, right? I do this, you do that, quid pro quos, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, we all know what that word means now, right? Um, but, like, so that, that's what the word here is being described as. So uh, Daniel says that he, what he's saying is, like, Israel loves God with a very human love, which means it can be hot and cold, it can be flirty sometimes, it can be sort of um, um, circumstantial at different times. It can be defined by, by other things other than the love between the two, whereas God loves his people and his covenant with them is with a different kind of love. And that's the way that the relationship has come together. It's, it's an asymmetrical relationship, and it's been that way from the very start, by virtue of if it's two primary members. God and humans—it's not a, from God's end. It's not a conditional thing. We can read this as a conditional thing. God only keeps His covenant of love with people who love Him and keep His commandments. But that's—I that, don't think that's how we should read it. I think we should read it as He keeps His covenant love with people who are loving Him back differently. And sometimes view it as just kind of—we got to follow some laws, and, and that will keep us right with God. Um, and, and that's kind of what this relationship is. Right? It's a different type of, of, of thing. Now. Because of this, right? I think we, we can trace it all the way back to the fact that one of the relationship partners, Israel, is, is flawed. It's limited in their ability to love God through, through their sin, through the, the way in which their humanity has, been, has fallen. They have betrayed that trust. They've betrayed the relationship on their end. They've not listened to these prophets who have come on behalf of God to speak to them and to tell, to tell, to tell them, listen, you guys are going the wrong way here. And, and, so, and this isn't just like a breaking of some rules. I think we should understand that too. It's not just like, like God just reached a certain point with Israel and they, he'd been like, okay, I always said if they broke X amount of rules over the course of their life, I was going to cut them loose and send them into exile. That's not what this is. This is, a, this is Israel saying, we don't want to be in relationship with you, at least not on your terms. Okay, we want you to be there for us when we need you, but otherwise we're not going to show you this type of love. We're going to go out and we're going to worship other gods. We're going to put our hope in, in uh, alliances or treaties with other nations. We're going we're to fundamentally look at this whole thing differently than what you expect of us. And God had said to them, fine. You can go your own way. And you can do that. And you can see what happens. You can suffer the consequences of that. And that's when we talk about like God's wrath or His anger or His punishment of Israel. That's really what it is. That's, and if you trace it through through the Bible, this is how God's wrath plays out. Romans one eighteen to thirty two is like the most important place in Scripture that talks about God's wrath. I think, and it just says. God's wrath is him giving us over to sin. And we suffer the consequences of that. And for Israel, they suffer the consequences of trying to find their hope in alliances with other nations. And God said, you want to play that game? Fine. See how that goes. And then Babylon came swooping in and took them over because they have been trying to put their trust in Egypt. Okay, That's how, actually how exile uh, happens. And so in, in love, in grief, in sadness, God says, fine, you want to go this way? I'm going to let you do that. And this is how exile happens results. Daniel continues in verses 7-8, Lord you are righteous but this day, so you are righteous but we, we are covered in shame. uh, You could translate this, a look of shame attaches itself to us. I think that's such a good, such a good line. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. And so, so now what he's saying is like th- this relationship, it's in danger of from our end being defined by shame, right? Instead of viewing you as the, this good and loving and merciful God, we just now feel shame whenever we think about our covenant with you. That's important. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. He continues in verses 9 through 11. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not the obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away refusing to obey you. Therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses the servant of God have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. So Israel they formed this covenant with God. He he comes to Abraham. He says, "Listen, dude. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And it's going to be marked by a covenant. And that covenant is going to be um, expressed. A, a marker of it is going to be circumcision. And then he starts that thing with Abraham. And a few hundred years later, he, he, he sends them out from Israel, or for, sorry, for, um, uh, from Egypt. He did the Exodus, right? And this becomes this huge, important moment in their life to know that their God delivers them. And then now that their God's going to dwell with them, he, he gives them these laws. And that's the law of Moses, the civic code that as a nation, they're going to follow that's going to mark them out and, and make them so that they can actually approach this holy God, right? And so that's what the law is there for. And they had so trampled on this law that God said, um, that he, he had said, if this happens, like these, these things are going to happen to you as a result. This is in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. And so, and so Daniel is reflecting on that and saying, listen, all this stuff that you said was going to happen... If this all went off the rails, it's happened. It has gone off the rails. He's confessing this to God on behalf of his whole people. 12 to 14 Daniel continues And you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster Under the whole heaven nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem Just as it is written in the law of Moses all this disaster has come on us Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth The Lord did not hesitate to bring their disaster on us for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does Yet we have not obeyed him. okay. So despite all this, right? despite knowing who God is, they've been stuck in exile and they have apparently not been turning to God. They have been so marked out by their shame towards him that they have not reached out to him and called for mercy on him. They haven't sought to reconcile, to call out, to confess sin to God. They have just taken it. They have just been marked by shame and and been borne down by by their mistakes as a nation. And so for us, um, for application For what we can take from this as we relate to God and we look at the relationship that we have with him when we feel let down, the first thing that we we should take away is that before we enter into stuff, before we um, are are, are questioning God and putting him on trial in a sense for, for why we feel let down, Daniel properly understands who he is in relation to God, meaning that he looks at his own heart first. Before he approaches God with his frustration, his anger, he looks inward first. All right. he, he realizes that that is the starting point, is to examine the relationship and, and, and to look at himself first. I made a joke earlier about how it, it kind of feels like Gabriel's showing up and he sounds like a customer service rep, right? And he even gives them like all this prophecy jargon as his answer, like it's just as unhelpful as a, as a real customer service rep, right? Um, but... And I think we can view God like that sometimes. We can view him like like he's making some product for us and that's our happiness and we're not getting that product and so we go to him in anger and we're waiting for him to give us an answer on how to fix the problem or something like that. And, and that's not at all how this relationship is marked out, right? That, that is a terrible way to look at the relationship. But we do that in frustration and anger, I think, sometimes. We expect that of God in an unfair way. And we're not looking at us when we do that and we're not looking at God when we do that as well. Um, we love God with this Ahab love, just like Israel did, not Hesed love. All right? and, and maybe we, we think that that's how he loves us too, right? Maybe that's how we, we expect it to play out. And we f- are forgetting that the relationship of us and God does not exist apart from the first mover in that relationship, the God and his hesed love for us. Uh, in Ezekiel sixteen, um, Ezekiel's another book that is talking a lot about the impending exile. This is what's going to happen, you guys, if you don't turn from your ways. Right? From those prophets that Daniel says we turn from. Ezekiel's one of those prophets, and he has this just, uh, man. Ezekiel sixteen. It's a really uh, searing, uh, like parable or allegory for what's taking place, and it's really long. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing in some parts. But, but God talks about the relationship with Israel by telling the story like there was this child that had gotten thrown off on the side of the road to die. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. And this thing is, is laying on the side of the road, despised by everyone, um, and it's, it's about to, to, to perish where God comes along, picks that child up. And he, he nourishes it back to health, and he, he sees it grow into this beautiful, beautiful person. He, he adorns it with, with, with all this gold and, and riches and, and, and nice clothes and everything to kind of describe what he had done for Israel. All right? And so so the relationship is defined by God coming to Israel in the first place when they're, they're nothings, they're nobodies, and starting the relationship off from there. all right. And so Daniel is approaching God with this understanding that, like, we don't have anything to offer in this relationship. It is all because of God, and the whole point it exists in the first place is because of God. And I gotta remember that before I go to him with my frustration or my confusion and, and my expectation, my anger that he's not doing what I want him to do. Daniel says, I gotta re- I gotta make sure I understand um, what's going on here before I go to God and do that. All right, so Daniel can still be confused right? Don't, don't hear me wrong. But he's not going to do it because he has a wrong view of the nature of the relationship in the first place. And that leads us to start to reflect on who God is. As we talk about this relationship, right? The two primary partners in it are, are God and us. Now we can move on and look at God, okay? And so what, when, when Daniel starts to do that, he acknowledges the transgression, but he doesn't assume that it defines the relationship going forward, All right. Let's let's read through a few more uh, verses here, and and I'll explain what I mean. Now, Lord our God, this is uh, starting in verse fifteen. Now, Lord our God, you who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned; we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. Your city, your holy hill. Our sin and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are we are righteous. But because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my Lord, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. So Daniel is able to say, in the past, we know who you are because, and he primarily, in the last slide, he goes back to the Exodus. He says, the Exodus is the thing that shows us this is who you are, and this is what marks out our relationship. You brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you made for yourself a name that endures forever because of how you acted towards us. Because you wanted the nations to see your mercy and your greatness, you have always acted in this way towards us, graciously and merciful, patiently, bearing with us in our Ahab love, which is, it nowhere matches your Hesed love for us. And so he's asking God to be that God again. And he says, So we've messed up, we're under your judgment. Okay, but don't let that define the relationship going forward for us, okay? And so he's, 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 he's explaining this truth that the relationship with us and God, with, with Israel and God, is always going to be defined by who God is. That is always going to be the main thing that defines the relationship, not by who we are or what we've done, okay? And we, we want to define it by ourselves all sorts of times, Right? Uh, Often we want to define it by how awesome we are, right? How great we are at this thing, right? Or how, how hard we've tried to work this way. We're, we're righteous, we're pious, uh, we're amazing, we're great at whatever we do, right? And we, we want God to love us because of that, okay? Or, or we think we've deserve to be loved right we, we fundamentally look at God in that way a lot of times we look at ourselves think we're great and expect that God loves us because of that okay or we we flip it we do the exact opposite of that thing which is we look at all the ways that we've messed up all the ways that we've probably have angered or upset God and we think that that defines the relationship okay and, and then that God must always view us in the same way that we view ourselves all right and, and this is this is not true God and who he is will always be the thing that anchors and roots our relationship with him. Now, kind of talking about this, uh, we're, we're talking about repentance here with, with Daniel specifically, right? And, and John Calvin, in his book, The Institutes, he, he talks about two types of, of repentance. And, and by what we mean by repentance, I, we're talking about like the nature of the relationship after the person has, has determined. That they're messed up. That they're that they're sinful. That they're that they're a problem in this relationship. Okay, Re- there are two ways to respond to God. Two types of repentance. He talks about now the first one he calls legal repentance, um, and I'm just going to call that shame. All right, we'll, we'll we'll make that a little bit easier to stomach. But by shame he means, and, and Daniel refers to this too. So I think this is this is obviously helpful. It assumes that the relationship can't be repaired. That the I can't grow. If I've messed things up, that I'm stuck being me. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago? Um, that that, I'm s- that you, you get so hardened by your own sense of, of sin or regret, and you start to view God that way. You resent yourself, and you think, God must v- resent me too, right? And this is, I am now stuck under the weight of, of how I've messed things up with God, and you feel the shame that comes with it. And it makes sense that we'd feel that, right? We talked about how this Ahab love that, that, that Daniel says Israel has, it can be transactional sometimes. It can be expedient. And so it would make sense if, if we approach God sometimes having that view of love or the relationship uh, between him, the way that the, that the covenant plays out, that we would sometimes look at our transgression or what we bring to the table and expect that that is going to be able to define the relationship going forward. All right? So we come to view God, this is the way that it plays out over time. We come to view God, who is the wronged one, like, like a certain Hogwarts headmaster. Right? Dolores Umbridge, she's cold, she's calculating, she wants retributive justice, she wants fear to define the relationship. And while she might have this sort of like hollow niceness on right, remember the scene where Harry goes into her office and sees all the cats on the plates? I think it's all pink in there, right? It seems like a really nice place. But deep down, that that is not who she is, right? It's like a hollow niceness, it's 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 not, it's all for show, right? And so she wants you to think she's nice, but deep down, like, she actually wants this relationship to to run on fear, right? And the only way that you could love her would be a transactional way. Now, we can trick ourselves, um, or we can be tricked by God, or by, sorry, by Satan, I think, into viewing God this way. Right? And I think there are many people who do view God in this way, this cold this judge, right? who wants relationship with you, but you've got you to do everything right, and as soon as you mess up, boy, you are under the gun now. Things, things are not going to be good going forward. Now Calvin um, says that that's one type of repentance, but there's another type. He calls it evangelical repentance. I'll just call it salvation, okay? Because salvation is relationship with God. Right? And and this repentance that, that turns to God and views him as he actually is, is salvation. It is a relationship with him that goes forward in, in a different way than, in a sh- than in, through shame. Calvin says, "...that by which the sinner, though grievously downcast in him or herself, yet looks up and sees in Christ the cure of his or her wound, the solace of his or her terror, and the haven of rest from his or her misery." Right? So instead of looking at God as the one who, who, who hates us because of what we've done, we see him as a rest from our guilt, from our shame. And so salvation, this, this right response to God, is the cure for the relationship um, that's been broken in the first place. And God, God, I think it's important to know that God prompts us into this. He does not prompt us into shame. I know I've talked to people before who have felt shame and, and they, they feel like this piercing sense of guilt and they've asked, is this God? Like, does he, Is, he, is, is this the Holy Spirit like convicting me of this to make me feel like, like, like God hates me? And I'll just tell you this, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin but never in a way that wants to drive us away from God. It's always in a way that, that says like, Listen, you have hurt me, or you have sinned, you have messed up, but come to me with that, right? I love you. I don't want you to run away. I want you to come to me, right? If you're feeling um, pursued by guilt, and you're wondering if that's God doing that to you, it's not God, okay? The, the Holy Spirit does not act towards us in that way. That would actually be the Satan, the accuser. That's actually what, uh, how Satan is referred to, is he's an accuser. He likes to make you feel bad for your sin, to drive you away from, from God, Right, so w- when, if you feel that, that is not God. Okay, just just want to throw that out there. Now, d- God is not Dolores Umbridge. He is like another Hogwarts headmaster. He's like Dumbledore, right? And I, I think actually think Dumbledore is a, is like. I, I remember when I I read the books um, when I was dating Julie because um, she really likes him, and I wanted her to like me too. So, but I actually really liked, really enjoyed the books a lot, and and. Um, and I really love Dumbledore. I've always kind of thought that he is like a great picture of God, right? As much as you can capture God in literary form, right? There's there's limitations to it. But but Dumbledore is he's kind, he's wise, he's fun, right? But he's also coy, he's enigmatic, right? He he's he's serious and he's incredibly powerful. And that's that's very clear to everybody right so you have these kind of two sides to dumbledore and he he takes Perry, harry in he's patient in working with him to see him grow to learn to become new and he's someone that harry wants to run to right but dumbledore dumbledore also maintains this like mysterious nature to him throughout the books right you, you and you, you never quite know what he's doing right there there he, he he seems to always have these intentions that he's 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 like yeah harry you don't need to know what i'm doing you you just got to trust me in this, okay? And Harry wants to trust him in it, right? In, in uh, the fifth book, um, The Order of the Phoenix, this is the one that, that Julius told me that everyone gets mad at Harry because he's super angsty the whole time, right? He's, he's, his hormones are kicking in. He's a teenager, right? And he's mad at Dumbledore for a lot of the book because Dumbledore is, like, acting kind of weird towards him. He won't talk to him and stuff. And Harry just, like, he's upset with them, but he just wants to talk to Dumbledore because he knows who Dumbledore is, right? He, he knows that that this is not who Dumbledore, like the, the actions, that, the, the anger that don't, that Harry feels towards him does not define who Dumbledore actually is. He's actually worth knowing and, and talking to. He just wants to get to get to talk to Dumbledore, right? He just wants to be reconciled to him. He thinks Dumbledore might be mad, but he doesn't want to run from him. He wants to go to him. And this is how we should view God, right? Even when he's mysterious, he's enigmatic, right, he's coy, we don't understand what he's doing, we still want to run to him because we just trust him so much because of a prior relationship, like the one that Harry has with Dumbledore that's been established earlier in the books, right, that can stand the test of time even when things are tough for Harry in the fifth book. And it's the same for Daniel, right? He has this prior relationship with God. He's able to look back at what God has done and to say, this is who you are, and this is how the relationship is going to continue to work out for us, even though things are pretty bad right now, right? And for us, we also have an event. We also have our relationship with God rests on something firm that tells us exactly who God is, and that's the cross, Our relationship rests on this prior understanding of who God is revealed to us through Him. Um, It it doesn't doesn't rest on circumcision. It doesn't rest on a law that defines the the terms of the covenant, right? And not on our love for God either, right? Once again, God's the first mover, and, and, and our relationship with Him rests on Him being crushed by that same law on our behalf. On, on the behalf of those who had completely rejected him, this first, this first moving on an unconditioned prior giving of this gift to unworthy relationship partners, our relationship with God is always going to be defined by that. Okay? No matter what you think it's defined by, when you feel confused or frustrated or feel shame towards God, you have to remember our relationship with him rests on this, not on anything you have done. Okay, And, and the whole reason it exists in the first place is just because of who God is and we can rest in that even when we don't understand what's going on because this will define this defines all future uh, relations between us and God. So what we're going to do is we're gonna, we're going we're gonna to remember that event uh, through uh, through communion we do it every single Sunday here and, and we we're doing that to remind ourselves of how our relationship with God um, got started in the first place and, and why, what it rests on that 's why we do it every single week. If it seems repetitive to you that 's on purpose there 's a reason we want to do it every, th- every single Sunday so that we 're reflecting on that and as we go out from uh, go out to this week to wh- whatever places we 're going to go when we leave this 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 room on sunday after Sunday morning, like we have started our week off by remembering that Everything about us is resting on this event for us. And then what we're going to do is we're going to worship God through song. And so... um We'll have those two things going on. And and, and but, uh, during that, if you want prayer for anything at all, like if you're feeling confused or frustrated or whatever, we have someone in the back who's going to pray for you. Sheena will be in the back uh, waiting to, to pray for you for, for anything at all that you could want, okay? So so please uh, join us in communion and worship as we reset ourselves, remind ourselves of the relationship that we have with God and what it's defined by. God, thank you that you have Sought us out, even though we, like Israel, are were like children laying on the road, who, who who no one cared about. That you you came to us, Lord. You you picked us up. You have given us new life. You have tenderly loved us with your hesseded love, despite the fact that our love back to you is so so limited. God, and you continue to do that for us, Lord, I thank you that your, our relationship with you is not conditional in any way, but it, is, it rests on who you are, and we can remain firm in that. Even when we feel frustrated, we feel like we don't understand what's going on, God. I, I pray that through your spirit that you, you would remind us of that. If you help us to know um, that we can come to you with any shame or guilt or, or, or frustration, Lord, I pray that that would be the way that we relate to you and not any other way. I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.